He was just described to be. And He is that right now. Holy, omnipotent, omnipresent, healer, mighty God, everlasting Father. He is all of those things for you, me, and you. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. Remain standing. Bow your heads for a moment. Thank you, choir. You may descend as you bow. Father, I thank you right now that you have invaded your house with your sweet anointing. Amen, church? And you are preparing our minds and our bodies to be receptacles of your blessings. Thank you for everyone here, God, and I pray the word would go forth with authority and anointing. I pray you'd give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. I pray, oh God, that you'd clear up the understanding of all of us who would hear so that nothing would distract from the gems and the jewels that you have for us. God, you ordered our steps, and I cannot discern everyone's needs, but I don't have to. You are God, and you can. So, God, speak to every one of us at the place of our need, and I thank you that we are changed by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can remain standing, I want you to turn to the book of Numbers for the word of the Lord for us this morning. It is here that the Lord has directed my attention for His season and time in our lives. And you find that. Let me just give you a little bit of background here. Most of you would already know this. It's a familiar passage. What is occurring here is that Moses has led the children of Israel, perhaps one and a half million of them, by God's providence out of Egypt where they and their predecessors had been in captivity for over 400 years. And by God's repeated miraculous signs and works, ten plagues, Pharaoh was convinced that he's not big enough to wrestle with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he let him go. And so God says to Moses, take a leader from every one of the 12 tribes of Israel and commission them to go into the land of milk and honey, the promised land. I'm giving you the land. It's yours. You are at the border of the land. The Jordan River separates you. But you send them in and they are not to go and try to figure out whether or not they can take the land. That's not their decision. They are going to go and come back and tell you what the inhabitants look like, what the walls and the size of them may be, uh, what kind of produce and other things in the land may be there. Then when they come back with that report, I want to give you a strategy as to how to go in and take the land. And so in verse number 25, chapter 13 of Numbers. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. 
Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so were we in their sight. Would you say amen to the word? And you may be seated. Thank you very much. Keep your Bibles open. Numbers 13. I hardly come to this passage without finding some new thought or truths that I find relevant for where we live today. I have observed in this walk with the Lord and the walk of leading a church that on some occasions believers have the attitude that just because they are saved and in the family of God, that now God is supposed to give them everything they ever dreamed of without any effort or work or self-discipline on their part. Our world kind of thinks that way in the sense of seeing someone that might have a very fine house, drive a nice car, dress in nice clothes, Sometimes someone says, well, I want that too. And while there's nothing wrong in wanting better, it often comes through a struggle. A price has to be paid. You take a physician, if you will, a doctor. And uh, while in the years of his practicing he may have acquired a good life, a nice home, etc. It came to him via many, many hours of study, of college, of graduate school, of internship, thousands and thousands of dollars of borrowing money to pay for the education and then setting up the office. And so while it's admirable that we want to be like that based on the kind of possessions an affluence he may have, it comes with a struggle. You see an athlete, and that, that athlete, or, that, or you may see a person who may be not involved in uh, athleticism, but they have a robust body and physically fit, and they got broad shoulders and bulging biceps and triceps and six-pack stomach. So like I'm looking today. Yeah, you all need glasses, don't you? And you think, I... I I want to be like that. I want to be like that. And while that is admirable, they didn't get there just because they wished it. They got there through the struggle of self-discipline, of exchanging broccoli for pizza, of pumping iron, of running the distance. They are able to get there. And it is so in the kingdom of God. That in order to climb the heights that God has for us, in order to get some answers to our prayers, 
in order to be delivered from the world and the flesh and the devil and to live a life exemplary as a Christian in order to pray for other people with power. Sometimes you got to go through the struggle. You see, God wants to prosper you and to bless you, but sometimes we're going to have to go through something. Sometimes there's a fight involved. You might note this because not everything I say will be on the screen, but if you take notes, you want to note this. There is something in the struggle that is necessary to becoming what God has ordained us to be. Such was the case with the children of Israel, whom we read about in our text. What was true for them many, many, many years ago in their struggle is the same for our situation today. Here's a key thought upon which I will build this lesson. And it is this. God left giants in the promised land on purpose. As I pondered this, I was thinking, one would think that God, the God who could perform ten supernatural wonders in Egypt and deliver a million and a half people, the God who could lead them through a sea, the Red Sea, when the enemies were behind them in hot pursuit and God, through Moses, opened up the waters of the Red Sea and all these people walked on dry land while there was a wall of water on either side of them. That God who caused them when they got over to the other side of the sea, when the last fumbling, feeble footstep of the children of Israel crossed through that dry water, dry land area on the other side, while the Egyptians began to pursue them between the walls of water, that same God closed the water in on their enemies. One would think of that same God who gave them bread from heaven when there were no bakeries in the wilderness. That same God who gave them meat from heaven when there were no butchers, uh, butcher stores in the wilderness. That same God who gave them a ball of fire over their head at night and led them. And a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day led them. You would think that that same God bringing them to the border of the land of milk and honey, the promised land, would get rid of the giants. But he left them there on purpose. Number one. Because they needed to learn how to fight. You see, once these children of Israel moved into the promised land, there would be surrounding nations and invading armies that would want to take from them what God gave them. Can I get a witness? Your Bible's open, if you will, in chapter 13. The Bible talks about, verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And we don't even know where the termites were, but we know they were there too. And once they got settled in, these enemies would want to fight them for what God gave them. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that when God blesses you, it makes the devil mad. And you've got to learn how to fight to keep what God's given you. In John 10 and 10, Jesus says, The thief comes not but to steal and kill and destroy. That means that the thief who is Satan wants to steal the healing God gives us. He wants to steal the financial blessing God gives us. He wants to steal the peace of mind God gives us. In order for us to retain these things, we've got to learn how to fight. 
The Word of God says in Matthew's account, chapter 11, verse 12, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent takes it by force. That tells me I've got to learn how to fight to keep what God has given me. Ephesians chapter 6 and 11, Paul says, But putting on the whole armor of God, that we might be able to fight against the wiles of the wicked one who is the devil. And I'm telling you that just because you got saved or got blessed last week, doesn't mean that everything is going to be roses the rest of your life. There is a battle, but God wants you to be a warrior and not a wimp. There is a battle, God wants you to be a fighter and not a coward. Somebody clap your hands and thank God. For the ability to fight. Secondly, God left the giants in the promised land because giants distinguish the difference between professors and possessors. My brothers and sisters, it's one thing to confess the promises of God. It's quite another thing to strap on your sword and go toe-to-toe with your giants and possess the promises of God. I like Joshua and Caleb. Oh, my, my, my. Twelve of them went in the land to spy it out. Ten spies of the twelve came back and said, Everything God said the land was, it is. It's a land of milk and honey. We've brought back some of the fruits and the vegetables. Look how large and lovely they are. Everything is true. And then these ten spies says, But we can't take that land because the people are so tall and large. They're like giants compared to our size. The walls are high and they are thick. And we don't stand a chance. Look in your Bibles, please, in the 30th verse of the 13th chapter of Numbers. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession. That tells me he is a possessor and not just a professor. For we are well able to overcome it. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. You know, you know what? I think about the story of David and the giant Goliath, and I won't spend a lot of time there. But you remember when David got to the camp of Israel, King Saul had led the children of Israel to the valley and to the mountaintop overlooking the valley. On the other side of the valley, on the next mountaintop, were the Philistines. You remember the account? The Philistines sent out their champion, Goliath, who was over nine feet tall. His shield and his armor and some of his equipment he wore was 125 pounds in weight. He was their champion. You know the challenge? He said, send me your champion, Israelites, and your champion, and I will fight. The one who fights to the death, the one who survives it, is is the one who's nation we are going to follow and obey and you'll become their captives and you understand when David got to the camp of Israel on an errand from his father when Goliath bellowed out his threat the soldiers looked like they were soldiers. They were professors, but they were not possessors. Can I hear an amen here? They looked the look and they talked the talk, but when the threat came out, nobody would go out and fight. But here is David. He is a, a young lad. He's freckle-faced. He's probably 15 years old. He goes to King Saul and he says, I'll go. And Saul looks at him and says, you are no match. But David said, the God who gave me strength over the bear that came against my flock the God who gave me strength over the lion that came against my flock and I took my bare hands and ripped these wild animals apart that God I'm not going with a sword or a shield but I'm going against Goliath in the name of the Lord because I'm a possessor and not just a professor put your hands together and thank the Lord 
What God wants you to do is not just look like it. He wants you to live like it. He wants you to stay in the struggle. Here's a third reason I find that God left giants in the promised land because giants expose the grasshoppers in the crowd. You see, when giants show up, grasshoppers speak real loud. Well, they speak or they chirp or whatever they do. Grasshoppers usually blend into the environment, but giants step on them. <laughs> Listen to this. I, I don't know about you folks, but I do know about me. If I'm believing God for something wonderful and miraculous, if God has spoken some promises in my spirit and resurrected some faith in me, I don't want people with grasshopper mentality around me. You, you need to observe this. You will never have promised land faith with a grasshopper mentality. You better be real careful who you tell you believe in God for your healing. If they're not on the same page with you, you need to excuse yourself. Because there are people who are going to say, well, you know, in our family, nobody ever graduated high school, and I don't think you will. You be very careful who you tell. In our family, nobody ever graduated college. Uh, in our family, nobody ever owned their own business. In our family, they'll say, nobody ever co- overcome the heart disease or the cancer or the stroke. By age 50, most everybody in our family had some symptoms of these disease. And you got to be the one that says, you know what? I have been given a promise of God. I believe in the laying on of hands and the anointing of oil and the prayer of faith. And I'm going to be the one in this family that's going to break the curse of sin and death and the lies of Satan. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let you be real careful who you ask to agree in prayer with you. Because not everybody has the faith necessary to go into the promised land. And I, I'm telling you, if you're going to go into the promised land of financial blessing, of healing in your body, of the preserving of your marriage and the keeping of your home, if you're going to go into the promised land where your son or daughter is free from drugs or alcohol or somebody set from, free from jail, you are going to have some, to find some brothers and sisters like Joshua and Caleb and says, we are well able to go in because God is faithful. Number four, through the struggle. There's something about the struggle God allows us to endure that helps us to get to know ourselves. I have come to understand the real you comes out under pressure. There are some things about the real you and the real me that needs to be confessed and forsaken. And so on occasions, God will allow us to experience the struggle for the sake of refining us and retuning us. You see... Sometimes God will turn the heat up in our lives because there's still some things of the old life that wants to come up. Cussing, lying, cheating, uh, anger, bad temper, yeah. uh, involvement in past sins. Well, I'm just weak. And sometimes God will turn the struggle up because it shows the real you. And then he says, listen, son or daughter, I want to take care of that too. Son or daughter, my Christian brother or sister, when you're weak, you fail, take it to the Lord. Can I get an amen here? I need to hasten to tell you, remember on the evening of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prior to his arrest, he had supper with them. We know it as the Last Supper. Washed their feet and spoke to them. 
told him about what is ahead for him by way of his suffering and passion. You remember on that night, and it's recorded in Luke 22 and 31, Jesus says to Simon, 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 behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith doesn't fail. What Jesus was saying is, I'm going to go through all this, Simon, but you're going to go through some struggles too. Satan is going to put you through a vice, tempt you and test you. But I prayed for you. And, and Simon is so much like, I've been on occasions, and maybe you, have been guilty of putting your mouth into motion before your brain got into gear? Don't raise your hands. Simon is, is that spontaneous kind of, Simon says, oh, you got the wrong guy here. No, I'm not going to be sifted and tried. He said, he said to Jesus, I, I'm ready both to go to prison with you unto death. Anybody out there? And Jesus said, Simon, before the rooster crows one time tomorrow morning, you're going to curse and deny me three times. And sure enough, the word of Jesus came to pass. And when Simon denied the Lord three times and the rooster crowed, he remembered. And the Bible says he went out of the presence of the Lord and wept agonizingly because he saw who he really was. But I want to tell you something that I love about God. In the valley of our anguish, he restores our soul. Jesus didn't say, I'll take a bat now and beat you over the head. You no count. After I feel a whoop glory coming on. I don't know what you feel, but it's my birthday. And I'm going to enjoy it. After his resurrection, Jesus told those who saw him before Simon, Go and tell my disciples and Peter and Simon that I'm going to appear at this place at that time. And when Simon received that personal word, he knew that everything was okay. That's what God's saying to us. God is saying, if in the struggle you crumble and you fall, if you'll let me, I'll pick you up and turn you around. Give him a praise, somebody. I got to keep moving. Number five. There's something in the struggle because it helps you to get, you to, to, get to know your God. Can I get a witness here? Hey, listen, your problems and your struggles and your dark nights and your bad days and your sickness will do one of two things for you. It will either drive you to God or away from God. Help me out, somebody. Your pain and your suffering will either cause you to fall in blind surrender to the mercies of God or you'll give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and lose out. But if you'll get to know your God... If you'll if you say, you know, I don't think I want to backslide. God's been too good in the past. Give me an amen. I don't think I'm going to go get drunk or shoot up or fornicate or adulterate or anything else. I, think, I don't think I'm going to gratify the flesh this time because all that flesh does is give me consequences that causes me to suffer. I think I'm just going to be still and know my God. Hallelujah to Jesus. Number six, you get stronger in the struggle when you put down roots and dig into the Word and spend time in prayer. Oh, somebody say amen. Oh, yeah, yeah. You see, this, that's why the book is here. To help us in our struggles. That's why the Holy Ghost is given to us. 
And I, I'm saying to you this morning that sometimes in order for us to grow and to become established, we've got to understand that he's designed this dark place, this valley of the shadow of death. He's designed a place for Job, that when Job came through the other side, he got double for his trouble. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And I'm saying God is not some kind of sadomasochistic God who takes pleasure in watching his children suffer. God doesn't do that. But oh, my friend, he'll put you through the fire. And when you come out, you'll come out like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because you won't have to bend or bow or burn if you'll let it make you stronger. It will. Let me show you something else. Number seven. There's something in the struggle. And here's what it is. You become aware of the excesses and unnecessary things in your life. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Since we are surrounded, since we are encompassed around with so great a cloud of witnesses in heaven looking down on us, since we have so many folks in heaven cheering us on in this race and struggle, let us, oh, hallelujah, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily beset us. What the Lord wants to do in our struggles is to get rid of some baggage. Get rid of some attitudes, some dispositions, some mindsets, some lifestyles. You see, there's nothing, there's no such thing as carnal Christians. It's an oxymoron. I didn't call you a moron. You're either carnal or you're Christian. But it is a way for those to describe those who think they're saved and they're okay. You don't live like the devil all week long and do the same thing every week between Sunday and, sun and Saturday and then come back and ask forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. God wants to deliver us from the weights and the sins that continue to ensnare us and take us higher. And so what he wants us to do is to live holy and righteous so he can bless us. And in order to get rid of those stuff, he sometimes squeezes it out of us through the struggle. And so it's all right. It's all right to let him refine you. It's all right when he doesn't explain himself for you to say, I don't know what you're doing, God, but have your way in me. Here's another thought, please. Number eight. The struggle produces thankfulness. Oh, <laughs> a preacher friend of mine, a preacher friend of mine, Tommy Powell, he pastors in Griffin, and, and Dad, you know him. He's in a covenant group. I called him up on Friday, and I was checking with him about a covenant meeting. And I said, Tommy, his wife answered the phone. And I said, I thought I'd have your husband. She said, well, I'm answering it for him because he's trying to pass a kidney stone. <laughs> I said, Tommy, I have had two of those, and I don't want another one. When I pray for my enemies, I say, God, give them a kidney. No, no, no. No, I don't do that. They are. Anybody ever had kidney stones? Huh? Yeah. You know what? Those kidney stones are so painful. They should come out as diamonds for having to suffer so much. Man, when I got, the second time I had it, 
I called Valerie up. I knew what it was. I said, meet me at the hospital. The first time, oh, God, she probably wanted to shoot me. You know how we men are. We are real macho about some other things. But when it comes to suffering, we can't even get an aspirin on our own. But that's a different day and time. I've never been so thankful when I got past it. Anybody hearing me? You know, in, in our climate in this country, in our weather and our patterns and our seasons, things have changed over the years, hasn't it? We have tornadoes showing up now in America in non-tornado seasons, in previously places that never had tornadoes. Am I right? We have hurricanes hitting coastal areas in America that hasn't done it before because the weather patterns have changed. But you know what you always see after after the tornado or the storm in most cases? When somebody's being interviewed by a television person, they'll say, you know what? We lost our house. We lost our car. We lost everything of our earthly possession. But you'll see a little tear running down some of their face. And they'll say, we're thankful we're still alive. We're thankful for our children and our family. Can I get an amen here? You know, when, when you had to fight for something and you have to struggle through something, you're going to appreciate it some more. Give me an amen, church. When you've got to fight for something and struggle for something, you won't let the devil just come in and take it from you. That's why we need to teach our children in this easy living America that you got what you got by the sweat of your brow. You need, we need to teach our children that there's not a money tree in our backyard. And if it is, it's been fall and winter and ain't no more leaves on it. Huh? We need to teach our children that, you know, we want you to have your cell phone and your own iPod and your own all kind of other stuff. But have you ever heard about a job, son? Well, Mom, I have now that I'm 40 years old. You know what happens to our kids and, and to our society and even to American culture? If the government gives us everything and the parents give them everything and society give everything away, nobody has an appreciation for what is given. But if you have to work for it and earn it, starting with minimum wage and work 50 or 60 hours, you're going to guard it. Hey, let me, let me go to the next one quick. Struggles test your levels of commitment. The only way to truly gauge your level of commitment is through the struggle. The question for us this Sunday morning is, am I in this walk with God for the long haul or am I in it for the joy ride? Help me preach. I'll do it by myself. Am I in it for God and I'll praise Him and dance and sing when my bills are paid, my children are fine, my marriage is good? Or am I going to be in it when I don't even understand God? Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. What God wants is people who are in it for the long haul. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Don't backslide because you don't get it your way. Don't hop from church to church because they don't sing your favorite song or pat you on the back. Serve God anyhow. I got my notes, but I have more fun when I leave them. Yeah. Every marriage is going to be tested. Did you hear me? All that holding hands and exchanging sweat with the palm of your hand. You guys know what I'm talking about. Man, you, before you get married, six months before you get married, you love her so much you could eat her up. Six months after you got married, you wish you did. <laughs> Things change. I, I counsel these couples coming, into the, coming in for marriage, and, and, and I say, do you have a house to take this woman to? Well, no, but hey, I love her. Uh, do you have a job? Well, uh, uh, I got this little self thing going on, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come into its own one day. Uh, uh, do you have a, have you worked out a budget? A what? Huh? 
Live on love all you want to. But one day you're going to say, pardon me for being carnal, what's love got to do with it? Yeah, they're going to send you that bill to come to repossess. I feel anointed. Your marriage is going to be tested. And I know that some of you in the past have dated some jerks. I know some of you married a jerk because I've counseled him. And I know some of you are singing, thank God, and Greyhound, he's gone. And I'm not giving anybody any license to divorce anybody. But your marriage is going to be tested. But the Holy Ghost is going to remind you that you made a covenant between God and you and she, your bride, or he, your groom. And you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And if you'll keep that covenant, God helping you, he may have to work a little bit more on your spouse, but you just do your part. I got, I got to hurry. I'm giving you 12 of these things because there were 12 spies, okay? And I am going to wrap it up here in about three hours. Here's the next one. The struggle qualifies you to rest. Wow. Last Sunday, I was so moved by the anointing of God in this house. I tell you, when people lined up this middle aisle and we had elders and pastors and others lining either side of this aisle and folks coming down, many of you came down, over 300. And we left here about 2 o'clock. We finished at 2, but we left later. I got home that day about 4. Boy, I wanted to pray for everybody. I felt that I, as the shepherd, muscly hands and anoint with oil. I believe the anointing flows down through God's son onto his servants and onto his people. And boy, I tell you, I, uh, I had to ask you to pray for me in the middle of that because my voice was running out. My bald head was sweating and I was just about, you know. And I got home and sat down and it was a great rest. There was no anxiety. There was no paranoia. I was just lost in the anointing because the struggle. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. i got to hurry. It, Hebrews four eleven says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter the rest. Enter the rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You remember their unbelief caused them to wonder because they believed in the doubting and, uh, what is the word, negative report of the ten spies. The people elected to not go into the promised land. I don't have time to read it. When you have time, read chapter 14. Joshua and Caleb, they tore their clothes. They ripped their clothes because it was a sign of anguish. Don't do this. And I'm paraphrasing. They said, we know the land has what it has, but God has taken the strength away from those people. God will fight for us. Let's go in immediately. And they talked about stoning them and killing them. Huh? Because they had grasshopper mentality. I'm not the tallest in stature, but when I'm anointed, I'm big in faith. 
I'm making faith for you. What I'm trying to tell you is they had the wonderful 40 years. Everyone 20 years old and older would die. And they would never go into the land because they couldn't fight and trust God. Two more things. Here's number 11 very quickly. The struggle qualifies you for the reward. Can I get an amen? You remember when David fought Goliath? He got the reward. All the other guys were told by the king. The king says, uh, King Saul says, anybody who fights and slays Goliath, I am going to make him very rich, filthy rich. I am also going to give him my daughter as his bride. King Saul says, anybody who fight and kill Goliath, I am going to cause him to be tax exempt for the rest of his life. No pay, no taxes. He owes his family. Now, I want to tell you something. That will quicken my desire to kill a giant. It's tax season, huh? You know, the, you know the simplified tax form, how much money you make? Fill in right here. The next part says send it all in. Huh? Tax exempt. The reward drives us. There is coming a day when we'll leave it all behind. There's coming a day. Now, now number 12, please. The struggle qualifies us to help others. Put it on the screen for me. You are not just going through this because God just wants to make you miserable. When you overcome a bad marriage, you can help somebody else. When you overcome the spot on the x-ray that shows your lung may have something malignant, and then you come for prayer and God heals you, you can find somebody else. When you pray and your son or daughter is free from a bad company, bad crowd, bad lifestyle, because God heard your prayers, you'll bless somebody else. Here's the scripture I want you to see. Everybody read it out loud with me. Would you do so? Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's why we are a family. We're not here to criticize and beat up each other in each other's struggle. Well, they deserve it. That's not us to decide. We comfort. Now, you know, some of you already know this. You know that the, before the butterfly becomes a butterfly, it's birth in the form of a cocoon or a worm-like, larva-like stage. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been in, you know, in science class. And you know that it goes through a, a process known as metamorphosis. It takes weeks. It struggles in the cocoon. Because while it struggles, its circulatory system is being developed. Its wings are coming to be. Its appendages. And if out of our kindness we would take a razor and carefully cut the cocoon prematurely, we would be guilty of crippling or killing the butterfly. That was, is to be. He needs to struggle. With me? The chick that's in the egg stays in the egg for a little season of time because in the struggle, pecking at the egg, trying to get its way out, it develops its muscles and whatever it needs for you to crack that egg and let that chick out prematurely would be to destroy 
its full capacity. I, I guess what I'm saying to you is, I have to confess that what has made me what I am today, if I have any spirituality or strength, it's not my mountaintops. It's my struggles. What has made me and what has probably made you who you are today is what you had to fight for, what you had to fight against, what you had to endure. And I guess I'm trying to tell you, give me the last slide here. I may be going through something and so are you. We may be going through something, but I choose to grow through it. Because I've come to understand there's no testimony without a test and there's no victory without a battle. Stand with you, please. I bless you, Jesus. Hey, I don't know if you could follow me on this, but I feel like singing it. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things seem impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Do I need to go up on that? Is that too low? Are we good? Try everybody. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things seem impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Now you find it. Hold on just a minute. How many of you in your whole long-legged life never heard that song since the day you were born? You never heard it? I could tell by the way you're looking at me. How many knew it? It was older than some of us. Raise your hands. Help me with it. We're going to do it because we're going to tunnel through. God in rivers you think are uncrossable. Got any mountains? Got any mountains? You can't tunnel through. You can't tunnel through. God specializes. God specializes in things seem impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Try it again. God, any rivers you think are uncrossable. Got any mountains? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things seem impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. We did okay, didn't we? Clap your hands and thank the Lord. Now here, here's what I want you to do. Okay? Here's what I want you to do. I am going to close in a moment. Listen. How many believe that God could have kept Daniel from the lion's den? Raise your hands. But he chose to bring him through it. Oh, my, my, my. Made him stronger. How many believe that God could have delivered and kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire? But he brought them through it. 
David needed his Goliath. Samson needed the Philistines. Israel needed the giants. And you'll be okay because you got God who will help you fight. You say, Pastor, I need God to partner up with me and I need to partner with Him greater. And I want to make it through the struggle. Come from where you are and stand at this altar for closing prayer. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Keep coming. Got any mountains you can tunnel through? God specializes in things seem impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Come in a little closer, a little closer if you will. Oh, let, let me tell you. <laughs> This, this is faith. Brothers and sisters right here in the altar, look at me just a moment. Look at me. This is faith. You are going to cross over the promised land and into the land of milk and honey because you refuse to be a, just a professor. You're going to be a possessor. You are in faith right here in this altar. Join hands with somebody beside you here. Do it in the house. I'm not going to embarrass you. I know that's uncomfortable for some, but just join hands with somebody. Because we got to, in order to win, we got to partner together. Now, bow your heads. My Father, we are going to the promised land together. To try to go on our own, we would find obstacles that would cause us to cower down and we'd have to run for our lives. But we are going not with sword and shield, but in the name of the Lord. We are going faith with faith, partnering with each other. If there's any sin in our lives, forgive it this morning. Say amen. If there's any impurity, if there's baggage, if there's bad attitude, if there's habits, if there's addiction, any sin, oh God, we are leaving it on the other side of the Jordan. We are going into the promised land. God, I just pray today that you would increase our faith. I pray, oh God, that you'd help us to endure. You'd sharpen us and refine us and purge us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that when we have been comforted, when we have been delivered, when we prosper, we'll find somebody else to bless them. Oh God, I speak peace into every life here this morning. I speak, oh God, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. If they're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, let them yearn for, seek for, and receive the baptism. Say amen. God, if they need to ask forgiveness, let them have the power to do it. If, oh God, they need to do something that will clear the way for their prayers to be answered, give them the power to do it. We pray for each other. Pray for each other now. Go ahead. Lord, I don't even know this person, but I pray for them. God, while they pray for me, I pray for them. I pray for their body. Go ahead. I pray for their mind. If they're married, I pray for their spouse. If they're divorced or separated, I pray for their protection and their direction. If they're sick in their bodies, I pray that you'd heal them. If they need a job or a house or a car or an apartment in your time and season, bless them. Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would use them in the ministry. And the call of God. Now you may release those hands and lift up your hands and thank Him. Thank Him and praise Him. Go ahead. Yes, you even clap if you like. I praise you and I bless you and I honor you. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me. With His redeeming blood He loved me yeah, I knew Him And all my love is to Him He plunged me to victory 
we need. Sing the chorus with me one more time before we go. Oh, victory, clap your hands. Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Give him one more praise. Yes, I claim my victory. Please, please. I know John Hagee preaches real good, and I know Rod Parsley preaches real good. But let me tell you something. And I'm not trying to build myself up here, but you can't go to no TV station, no network anywhere, or no tent someplace, and get any more of the truth than you got right here. Just live it, and believe it, and thank God for it. Have a great day. I'll see you tonight. God bless you as you go.